0: Behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. (laughs) The personalities. So Lisa has
1: not slept. And neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to
0: news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered, unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. (laughs) Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines. And insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label, but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now.
1: Probably One of the best shows ever. Fresh from another COVID test with a crook neck and in lust with her physio, Vivian Kelly, it's nice to be reunited.
0: Look, it is uh, good to be here. Can confirm I don't have COVID for the second time, good. but I am feeling very, very rough. And as to your physio reference, uh, if anyone can make me feel that good, I'm instantly in love with them.
1: (laughs) Uh, Glad to hear you are negative on that COVID test. We are seeing another spike, of course, uh, pretty much across the country. And you and I both escaped it uh, narrowly at the Rolling Stone Australia Awards uh, a couple of weeks ago too.
0: Well, allegedly we escaped it, but yet here I am feeling like absolute Rubbish testing negative, so I guess technically didn't pick up the vid, but I've definitely picked up something now that we're opening up again between the Screen Forever conference that I've been at, the Rolling Stone Awards and various album launches uh, and gigs over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I did sort of forget how many bugs can circulate at one time.
1: All right, this week on That's Entertainment, Netflix flexes its local content plans at Screen Forever. Radio ratings, SCA's Today FM is a glimmer of hope. And in this week's hot take, why did music streamer Mood Agent fail? One of the reasons uh, this podcast hit paused the past two weeks is because my co-host Vivian Kelly has uh, has been on assignment, undercover, if you will, uh, at Spar Screen Forever conference on the Gold Coast for Variety Australia, which hadn't launched at that moment, but it has now. You did manage uh, to sleuth into a few of the sessions while you were there. You even got some uh, some face time with a number of executives as well. How was the conference, firstly?
0: It was really good. It was super overwhelming when there's seven hundred odd people uh, in a room once more uh, at the Gold Coast. So even being allowed into Queensland was the first overwhelming moment of the conference, as I come from dirty, dirty Sydney, and then just being around that many people. But there was a really, really good vibe in the room. Uh, everyone was so excited to be together again, and. Everybody there from the streaming giants to the television networks to people who work for the production companies were talking about the importance of Australian stories, telling them, showing them, exporting them. So I think this year will be a really big year for Australian content and I think they're all going to make some really big moves. We
1: know how much you uh, love Queensland as well, of course. Uh, Look, I've seen a lot of headlines come from this conference uh, and, you know, the content quotas conversation is one that never stops and often heats up at conferences. We see that in the screen sector and, of course, the music industry as well and more broadly the arts. Uh, What's Netflix's position when it comes to Australian content quotas?
0: So there was quite a heated uh, exchange, I'll say heated but it was good-natured, uh, between Netflix's head of originals in Australia, Q Min Lu, and the ABC's Sally Riley. I think all the TV networks feel a bit hard done by that in the face of the pandemic and in the face of the changing content market, they still have to produce local content quotas. They think it's expensive. They think it's unfair. They think it's inequitable. And they think we're making local content anyway. Why are you legislating this for us when you're not legislating it for international players? Netflix's view actually wasn't that different. Their point was sort of, we're already making local content. You don't need to tell us to do it. In order to attract Australian audiences, we need to tell Australian stories and even though I've seen the first I think two episodes of Byron Bay's on Netflix and I'm definitely not a fan I can tell you that nobody can sell that show on stage like Q the way she spoke about that show being an insight into Australia it being an important step forward for Netflix's originals and its slate of content she really made it seem like they were doing Australia and its content marketplace a world of good by bringing us the likes of Byron Bay's. I have
1: watched the trailer for Byron Bay's, but I can tell you right now that is as far as I will go with that TV show. Uh, in terms of perhaps a better question might be how much Australian content would they produce uh, if these quotas uh, weren't in place for the FTAs?
0: Look, I think they'd say it would be about... The same. You know, speaking to Adrian Swift, who's uh, the head of content at the Nine Network, he said, you know, good luck to anybody trying to get up an international drama in a primetime slot on free to wear television at the moment. I'm sure you remember years ago, Jake, when Channel 7 just bombarded us with ads about Grey's Anatomy and Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Everything was about a huge tentpole pole drama from the US, getting it first, getting it quickly, stopping people from illegally downloading it, watching it week to week appointment television. Now, everybody seems to agree that you need Australian programs in that slot, which is a good thing for Australian production houses and people working in that sector. And Netflix seems to feel the same. They were really pushing their local content credentials and saying that they're going to be really ramping up their investment in original Australian content.
1: So at Screen Forever, you also saw a number of other panels and spoke to a number of other executives. Were there other sort of common threads or ideas being batted about?
0: I guess the common thread was uh, one of hope, which was quite different over the past couple of years. They are feeling a bit held back by the fact that some people are citing about 20% of the workforce in Australian production being out at any one time because they either have COVID or have been in touch with somebody uh, with COVID and now that there's been an outbreak from the Screen Forever Conference, that number might be uh, set set to climb. But I think they're just really struggling with the the talent retention throughout the past couple of years. Like many entertainment and arts-based sectors, they lost some talent and... It's not the sort of role you can just fill quickly. You know, if you don't know how to operate a camera, if you don't know how to keep somebody safe in the jungle on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, you can't just sub in that role and get an intern to do it or, or train someone else in a day to do it. So they are—they're struggling to uh, make it work, but only because there's so much content due to come out of Australia this year. So it's probably actually a good problem to have. There's too much work to go around.
1: Yeah, you're right. This is a broader uh, challenge for the entertainment industry right now, and I feel like it's two pronged. I mean, partly a lot of very seasoned. Uh, and experienced people have left the industry. And we've seen uh, the devastations of that, for example, at the Travis Scott Astro World uh, Festival over in the US. Uh, there just wasn't enough uh, experienced people working behind the scenes uh, on that uh, music festival. Uh, but then also, there's this great, you know. Uh, changing of the guard in terms of jobs and people wanting to move from their current employer to a new one. So I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of an uphill battle for some of these companies.
0: Absolutely. And with everybody, including the streaming giants such as Stan, Amazon Prime Video and Netflix wanting to make more and more Australian content and the TV channels continuing to push that as their point of difference, there's going to be so many Australian productions this year they might have to turn to getting some international workers here which isn't ideal in the sense that we would like to be helping to bolster the local arts and entertainment scene but just with this much work due to come out in particular Netflix's plans like they said to me they want to have a Squid Games style hit mm. from Australia now that doesn't mean a production. Uh, that focuses on a dystopian world where uh, we all kill each other for money, they mean more the scale. You know, uh, they admitted to me that they knew Squid Games would be big in Korea. They just had no idea it would take off uh, around the world the way it did. So they said there's no reason that Australia can't produce an original production for Netflix here and have that go absolutely bonkers around the world. I mean, Squid Game had 1.6 million viewing hours in its first month alone. It's the biggest show the platform has ever had. So they have really big plans for getting Australian stories, not just to Australian Netflix viewers, but also to Netflix viewers around the world.
1: Still to come on That's Entertainment, our hot take, why did the widely hyped music streamer Mood Agent fail? But up next, Radio Ratings, SCAs, Today FM, Eyes, Glimmer of Hope. Well, the latest radio ratings are in Survey Two. Surprise, surprise! Everyone is a winner. Uh, that's if you believe all the media releases that stream into our respective inboxes uh, after the numbers come out. Jokes aside, it was another great book for Nine, a good book for Nova, uh, a better book for SCA. Where does that leave ARN stations in Survey Two?
0: Well, ARN still dominated in Sydney FM. You know, it still has the number one station in KISS 106.5. It still has the number one FM breakfast show with Kyle and Jackie O. Its uh, sister station, WSFM in Sydney, is still tracking really well. And they've got the number one FM breakfast show in Christian O'Connell down in Melbourne. So the great thing about radio ratings, I guess, is that there's so many day parts, so many stations, so many cities, it actually can be possible for everyone to have some wins uh, across the board. So this sort of somewhat of a comeback for SCA, this book, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's panic stations for ARN.
1: They will be hoping, no doubt, it's uh, the beginning of a trend over at SCA. Uh, I'm sure they popped a bottle of champagne. Don't know how expensive that champagne was. Uh, but in terms of, uh, I guess, a broader picture, I mean, you know, we Coming off Survey 1, which is really a reset, it's the beginning, it's going to take a while, another couple of books at least, to really start to spot any meaningful sort of trends that are there. But we are in an interesting time uh, in the battle between music and talk stations. I mean, there is a war in Ukraine, there is a rise in uh, COVID cases uh, and there's a looming election. So really the time for talk stations to shine is right now. Did they do that in this
0: book? The time for talk stations to shine could be right now, but there's also a lot of consumer fatigue with the news cycle. It's not like it's the first uh, surge in COVID cases, even though the election's only just been announced. We've been in election mode for a long time and people are genuinely overwhelmed by the climate crisis and the crisis in Ukraine. So as much as talk stations have a lot to talk about and a lot of reasons for consumers to tune in, I think consumers uh, also just need a bit of a break. And that's why we've seen a rebound in some of the music stations. They want some fun, they want some music, and they don't just want all the doom and gloom. And also listening to Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese is really boring. You know, it's really important that we're engaged with this upcoming election on the 21st of May, and you only have a matter of days to change your electoral roll details, but people are over it. They're so, so overwhelmed with information. So I don't think it's surprising that music stations across the board have tracked really well this survey.
1: What we haven't seen a lot of during COVID, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, unless you're a journalist that covers the sector closely, um, as we were when we were working working on Radio Today together, is a lot of sort of jiving between talent and stations, that sort of really toned down. Uh, What I did read this week in The Australian, in the media diary, was some great comments by Ray Hadley taking aim at SCA bosses uh, and the fact that they should perhaps be spending more time on some of their ailing breakfast shows, including, of course, uh, Today FM. Any thoughts on that?
0: I think Ray Hadley went so far as to say that they should all uh, be sacked. Uh, I think he has a bit of a vested interest there. You know, his program was previously uh, syndicated across some Triple M stations. That has stopped happening. And he also is a rival of that that network. And it's really low-hanging fruit. It's very easy to take a jab at today fm as we well know and uh and get a a headline i do wonder if this survey might be the turning point it could just be a blip but today fm in sydney is finally back above the you know the 5% share mark it's not hanging around in the 2%s and 3%s and 4%s where it's been for so long now it's got a 5.1% share that's still pretty low but it's Getting a lot closer to the likes of Nova, which is on 7.6, and Triple M, which is on 5.3, it's definitely a move in the right direction and their breakfast show has had a good book as well and things are moving up in Melbourne. So just as a whole picture for the hit network for SCA, It's looking a lot healthier. It's not the station that's at the bottom in every city.
1: In terms of the workday on Today FM as well, there was some good growth there. So Cume is building, uh, which suggests that the sort of nostalgic uh, music strategy might be beginning to take hold i think uh, mornings was up around 1.9 and afternoons 1.3 i might have those figures back to front but that is promising there was when you dive into the demos a bit of a spike in that 10 to 17 demo uh, quite a significant one which always makes me a little bit nervous
0: yeah that's why we need to wait to see if there's a trend here because there can be uh, anomalies where suddenly those teenagers and teenagers account for some massive jump. I remember one time uh, 2GB did particularly well in that demographic and we all knew that probably wasn't accurate uh-huh. and definitely wasn't sustainable. But Grant Blackley, the CEO of SCA, has talked for a while about Today FM switching its music strategy and its placement in the market. It's not really trying to go head-to-head with the likes of KISS 1065 and Nova 969 anymore, and he wants it to sit a bit younger than the older skewing Smooth FM and WSFM. So it might take a while for the market and indeed the 10- to 17-year-olds to realise that. But I think they will just be happy that the headline of this book is that they're up across the board. They're up in all the day parts, which shows consistency rather than anomalies. And good news for Fox in Melbourne as well, that it was the biggest mover upwards because it shows that that hit network in general might be recovering some of its health.
1: Yeah, you're right. This is a good book for SCA uh, and they've obviously worked incredibly hard for it. Uh, perhaps those 10 to 17 year olds are tuning into uh, Abby Jackfield on nights.
0: Well, oh, who knows? Uh, unfortunately, uh, we we don't get to focus as much on on evening uh, radio. Everyone is so focused on that key breakfast battle because it does still seem to dictate uh, so much of the listening throughout the day and a lot of uh, abby and the hot nights program strategy is also to drive people to the listener platform to her podcast to her catch-up radio so i'm not even too sure if with abby they'll be too worried about the specific share figures because for her in particular she's much more of a multimedia play than those traditional breakfast shows
1: all right up next our hot take of the week That's entertainment hot take. Uh, Before we dive into this, how are you doing there? I can see you're drinking tea and there's a tissue there, and I feel like I should be wearing a mask even though we're on Zoom.
0: (laughs) I'm not great. Oh Um, you poor thing. I actually feel fine, like in terms of my brain, but I'm just it's been so long since I've had a fucking cold. It's like Also, it's a shit time to be sick because everybody thinks you have COVID. So, yeah.
1: Music streaming service Mood Agent, which opened an Australian office only last May, has closed its local operations and put a pretty cryptic post uh, on social media about its future. Uh, They labelled that post, post, we've pressed pause. Uh, they put that up last Thursday afternoon and confirmed that they were switching off their user interface uh, and building out a plan in order to pivot. All very tech-speak, uh, I must say. Uh, the Australian business uh, was led by a former Spotify executive Tom Mee, uh, and there's a former Nova executive uh, that they hired as well, or staffer Tony Baselli as director of music and editorial. About 70% of their global workforce is now gone. This is interesting on a few levels. Uh, firstly, it's a very difficult business, music streaming. It's the Economics of scale, firstly, uh, the more users you have, uh, the more that the you know top 1% or 10%, as some of them will tell you, uh, will earn from the platform. They're up against uh, some big players. It really is a, a David and Goliath kind of narrative, I guess, you could spin here. Uh, but Spotify uh, and Apple... Um, Amazon is creeping up there on YouTube. They really have the foothold over the streaming sector, which makes it harder for these sort of more independent players to really come through. Uh, then, of course, you're battling with, uh, you know, the, uh, the boardrooms of all the major labels as well.
0: It's really hard to come late to the party with a tech play like this as well. Mood Agent officially launched its Australian push in May 2021, that was laid in terms of music streaming and the adoption of tech here for consumers, but also we were sort of well into the pandemic then. People had their streaming, their listening habits down pat to try and break through at that time with a service based on your mood when everybody's mood was such a hot mess. Uh, it would have been a really difficult proposition to communicate to consumers the only sort of comparison I can think of is in the TV and content streaming space, Foxtel's binge was really late to the party and speaking to them at Screen Forever, they said, look, we know the party's been going since 7 o'clock, we've rocked up at five minutes to midnight and we're trying to have a really good time in this last five minutes. But they've actually done a really good job. They've got a really compelling name because it's it's the word we use anyway, I'm going to binge this program on Netflix, I'm going to binge this program on Stan So they've really co-opted that word and made it both the product and the action. I guess the issue with mood agent is it's an unclear product and it's not an action. So whilst the word Spotify also means nothing, it's already embedded in consumers' minds. If you come late to the party with a confusing proposition – You've got a lot of work to do at five minutes to midnight.
1: I think what uh, Mood Agent was trying to do was build you know, this sort of algorithmic tech that knew you know, what you were thinking and ideally in the future what you were feeling uh, based on you know, whatever else you were doing on the internet in order to serve you up the sort of music that you wanted to hear without you having to actually think about it. And you're right, you raise a really good point in that the name is confusing and it doesn't have a ring to it. But like Binge... Uh, I think if it had taken off during the pandemic, we would be sitting here going, what a great time to launch it. Everybody was in lockdown. Everybody was thinking about their mood and their feeling. Uh, Yet, uh, there we go.
0: Yeah, I think it's just hard when people are already so wedded to their music service of choice. The good thing about uh, television streaming is they can have a, a point of difference. Binge has exclusive programs that you can only get on Binge. The reason I signed up to Binge was to watch Mayor of Easttown. I could not get that anywhere else and now I'm still on that platform because then you see the interface, you see the other offerings and they almost sell it to you once you've already bought into it. The problem with music streaming is at the moment a lot of them have the same content, the same offering. So the way they're differentiating is – the interface and what they serve up to you and just reading here when they launched in Australia how they said their approach is different you know the quote was patented AI technology analyzes each listener's taste to create a truly personalized listening profile resulting in unique playlists and recommendations that might be a point of difference, but people probably thought they were already getting unique playlists and recommendations on whatever service they were using.
1: I see a lot of other uh, music streaming platforms come and go as well. Uh, Crowdmix, Groove Shark, Quby uh, is another one that we've covered uh, on the Music Network. Uh, Audio was a big one. And of course, here in Australia, Give Era as well, uh, which, you know, caused quite a stir in the market as well after taking a lot of money from mum and pop investors.
0: Yeah, and I guess that just shows how how hard it is to break into the market and then to stay there. You know, we lost the likes of Pandora as well. Anytime there's a breakthrough challenger, it looks like there's a, a lot of promise. It promises consumers more choice and it promises Australian musicians that it will spotlight them more and connect them more with fans and introduce them to new audiences. So it is a shame that we do see them sort of topple over, but I just think it's about scale here and the fact that the music services don't have exclusives in the same way that uh, television and video streaming services do.
1: All right, I think that's it for this week. You to... uh... Go and have some cold and flu
0: tablets. Yeah, look, I need to go and uh, go and do, do do something about this situation, that's for sure.
1: All right, we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatcentertainment.com.au.